following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, good morning. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we'll be looking this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5, if you have a Bible and want to turn there, or you can follow as we read along on the screen. Uh, we'll be looking this morning at shepherds and sheep. So let's uh, let's read from First Peter chapter five, verse beginning in verse one. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Hold yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. All right. Uh, we looked this morning at uh, shepherds and sheep, and uh, really this is a, a picture of uh, kind of Peter's view or idea of, of what the church is as, a, as an organization, as a, as a group of people. And, you know, we, we all interact with different things, different organizations, different entities, if you will, uh, based on their, their function and their purpose. So, for example, our relationship with a school uh, is very different from our relationship with a movie theater. Now, they might look the same. People show up and sit in chairs while they listen. But, um, you know, for one, school's mandatory. <laughs> you have to show up or the teacher will mark you absent. Nobody takes attendance at a movie theater, right? So how you interrelate with it, how it works is, is just different. Um, Going to work is very different than going to Disneyland, right? Uh, at, at your work, you may be asked to sweep the floor and pick up the trash, but that's probably not why you go to Disneyland, right? Walk around picking up trash, unless you're just like really OCDC or something, right? Uh, or unless it's your job. Like if you work at Disneyland, then it, it's different, right? It all depends on the function and purpose of the, the thing that you interact with as how, how you how you relate to it, right? And so, um, in this passage, uh, Peter really describes the basic function or nature of the church. And in so doing, he really really gets a picture of how we relate to the church, right? What kind of place is the church? What is its function and purpose? And how do we relate to it or interact with it? Or to put it a different way, you could say, well, how do we do church? How do we do church? Um, now, the reason this is especially important in the time and age that we live in is that we live in a world uh, where everything is very consumer-driven. Right? And by that, we mean that we live in a world where, where we mostly interact with most things in the world around us in society as customers. Right? We, we buy services and products, and we, we consume goods, right? And that's how we interact with most things in the world. In fact, even things that are mandatory like school, uh, oftentimes we interact as a customer. 
And if we don't like the school, if it doesn't give us the things we want, we find a different school, one that provides the things that we are looking for. Uh, and, and part of that really comes out of, I think, um, the fact that most of the world believes in democracy. Right? So in democracy, uh, we don't have kings that are just take over from their fathers, but we actually choose our leaders. Right? We pick the leaders we want. So even, even in government, we, we really are consumers. Right? We, we pick candidates who give us what we want. Uh, we get to choose our leaders. We get to vote on important issues. Right? And oftentimes people don't vote on what's best for the whole. They, they vote in terms of what's good for them. Right? What, what is what I want personally. Right? And uh, it's based on getting what we want. Uh, so, so that's how our world works. That's how our whole world economy operates. Right? It's on the free market economy where we have people selling stuff and we have people buying stuff. And the world's a happy place if we have enough buyers to buy all the stuff we're making, right? And in the free market, that works great. The problem is when this thinking creeps into the church, right? Is this the model for the church, right? Is the church a consumer-driven commodity, right? Are we just selling a product? I hear people say things like, you know, I'm shopping around for a church, (laughs) right? Uh, Meaning... I'm looking for the one that's going to give me what I want, right? That's going to um, meet my expectations, my needs, right? Where I can get what I want. Kind of like going to a restaurant, right? After church, maybe many of you will go to a restaurant. And how do you pick the restaurant you want? Well, it's kind of based on what's on their menu, right? If you're, in, if you're craving uh, one kind of food, you'll go to that kind of restaurant, right? What they're serving up for the day, um, place of what they have there on their menu and, and how it suits our cravings and our tastes and how their service is, right? And if we go to a restaurant and we're craving uh, fried chicken and they only have pork, right? Uh, we'll go to a different restaurant. We'll pick a different place. Right? And, and so that's kind of how we do church, right? Uh, and, and it puts pressure on churches. Churches and church leaders think that really their goal, their, they operate much like a business, and the goal of a church is to make the customers happy, right? meet the customers' needs. And so we have to offer the programs and services that people are looking for. And it's all about making the customer happy. And it gets measured in terms of how many customers we can attract. right? If we can attract enough customers, we're successful. Uh, and if we're not doing a good job attracting customers, then we need to change what's on our menu. We need to have different programs, or we need to have a better preacher or a better worship team or something so that people will feel like, oh, that's what I want, and they'll come, right? Um, now, of course, we know this is all kind of ridiculous. We know that this is not how the church is supposed to function, but it's hard to escape how this mentality creeps into our thinking and how it often influences how we think about church and how churches work, right? How churches offer programs and why they do what they do but also we as members, why we attend, why we go, what we're hoping to get out of church, right? We use those phrases. I went this morning, I didn't get anything out of it, right? In other words, they failed, right? They didn't give me, as a customer, what I wanted. And that's not at all the picture that, that Peter paints here of a church, right? Uh, it is not a consumer-driven enterprise. Uh, instead, P- Peter pictures the church as 
sheep and shepherds, right? Uh, uh, the people attending are not consumers, but they are sheep. Church leaders are not CEOs or running a company or a business, but they're shepherds. Uh, they're not providing a product to sell, but they are to be providing care for the flock. So in that sense, uh, maybe the closest thing that a church represents in our world, since we don't, most of us don't have sheep. <laughs> Anybody here have sheep? <sighs> I didn't think so. Right? Most of us don't get sheep and shepherds, but um, maybe the closest thing for us is that a church is really much more like a family than like a business, right? A family is a place where we provide care, right? Moms care for their children. Husbands care for their, their families, their wives and their children. Right? We provide care, and, and we don't get to shop for our family, right? We don't get to look at a menu of choices and say, well, I like this family. <laughs> they look nice. And they provide on the menu the things I want. I'll, I'll live with them, right? We don't get to do that. We, we just are in a family, and we, we trust that the people there are caring for each other, right? And that's really more the picture of a church. So the challenge for us is, to, how do we think about church if the church is a flock? It's more like a family. Uh, how are we to maybe change our thinking? Uh, and how do we interact? What does it mean for us to participate? What does it mean for us to show up and be part of the church if it's a flock and if its leaders are shepherds? Uh, what does the image of the church as sheep and shepherds teach us about how to do church? That's what we want to look at today. Uh, so first off, uh, this whole idea of shepherds and sheep. Uh, since none of us currently are raising sheep and most of us have never been a shepherd, we need to break this down a little bit and see what this is a picture of. What does Peter have in mind when he represents the church, church as a bunch of sheep being led by shepherds? Uh, well, Peter starts in verse 1 by saying, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Um, what's, what's cool here is that Peter starts off, and you've got to remember who Peter was. Peter was one of the original 12 disciples. Peter uh, denied Jesus. Uh, but then was restored by Jesus. And in John chapter 21, Jesus has this kind of one-on-one with Peter. And he says, Peter, you're going to be the guy. I'm, I'm restoring you, even though you failed. But I'm restoring you. You're going to be the first shepherd of, of my church. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. And again, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, take care of my flock. Right? So Peter's call from the very beginning was to be a shepherd. And he was an apostle. He was the first shepherd. He was um, the, the lead pastor in the very first church in Jerusalem. Right? So he was kind of a somebody. But I love that Peter starts off here. He says, I, I exhort you elders as a fellow elder. He doesn't say, I exhort you elders as the, as the bishop over all the churches. Right? As the, as the apostle, the chief of the apostles over all the churches, right? I, 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 I appeal to you, elders, as the future pope of the church for many 2,000 years, right? No, he says, I, I appeal to you as just a fellow elder, right? And so Peter saw his first role as shepherding, right? Even though he was all these other things, he saw what he was more than anything else, was a shepherd of the church. And he says, I, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. It's just one of, one of you. 
who's uh, been given this task of, of shepherding. And, and he calls them elders. Um, the word elder literally means an old person, right? Uh, but over time, the word became to be used both, especially in, in the Old Testament in Israel, for people who by their age, by their life experience, were in leadership roles in society, right? And the idea here is that old people have a certain wisdom, a certain amount of experience, and ideally a certain level of maturity that qualifies them to be leaders, right? So that's, that's the picture here. So um, the, the idea is not necessarily old people, but old enough to be mature, right? That's the idea. People are, lead uh, because they have a level of maturity. And we see, for example, with um, Timothy, uh, Timothy was a young man, but uh, Paul had appointed him to be an elder leader in the, in the church in Ephesus. And so uh, you don't have to be old to be a leader, but you do have to be mature, right? And uh, so P- Peter is relating to these fellow elders, um, not as a boss, not as a superior or a senior, but as, a, as an equal, as a co-worker. And he, he talks about two things in this role. He says, first of all, I am, I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, of course, Peter was a witness of the sufferings of Christ, literally. But that's probably not what he has in mind here. What he really means is that uh, an elder or somebody who's qualified to lead is somebody who is bearing witness to the gospel, right? To the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, so even though, yes, Peter saw those things live and firsthand in person, what, what qualified him as an elder was that he was uh, continually proclaiming the death and resurrection of Christ, right? And so elders should be about that. They should be basing their ministry in a way that's very Christ-centered and very much focused on the gospel of Jesus. That's where it begins, right? The, the ministry of an elder begins with uh, shepherding through pointing people to Christ. And it ends, he says, he says, I'm a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. So it ends with Christ. And that glory to be revealed points to Jesus' return. And he says, I'm a partaker of that as well. So from Christ to Christ, right, what his life was about was focused on Jesus and uh, what Jesus could do to redeem people and call for himself uh, a glorious inheritance. Right? So the important point uh, that we should note here is that, uh, first of all, churches need leaders. Right? Churches need leaders. And sometimes in in modern times, we've kind of got this idea that the problem with the world is leaders, right? That the world would be a better place if we just got rid of leaders. Now, in some cases, that might be true, right? Not because we don't need need leaders, but because we have the wrong leaders, right? And so in politics with countries, with governments, sometimes, you know, we need better leaders. Uh, but, But there's no picture anywhere in the New Testament that somehow the church is to function as a leaderless organization, Right, over and over repeatedly, uh, there's this call for appointing leaders, elders who, who, who lead the church. Um, but the question is, what kind of leaders? Right? What kind of leaders best suits the church? Uh, people who are CEOs, who are business executives, or as we see here, who are shepherds. Right? Um, because the nature and function of the church is to care for the flock, shepherd the flock. Right? So, um, so, so to really understand what kind of leaders we need, we need to have a better understanding of what this, this picture is of shepherding the flock. What does it mean 
to shepherd the flock. He says in verse 2, this call to them, what he's urging them to do, what he's pleading with them. He says, elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Uh, the, the people that you've been appointed to care for, shepherd them, care for them well. Uh, and he says the, the church is primarily organized around a group of leaders who are not functioning as CEOs or business executives, but are, who are shepherds who care for the church, should care for its members. Uh, that's the main role, really, and purpose of the church. Now, we gather, of course, for God's glory, and as we come together, we together are to lift up uh, God's name in worship and praise. Uh, but the function of the church as, as, as a, is also uh, to provide spiritual care for its members. That's what a church is. It's, in, that, in that sense, it's kind of like a hospital, Right, a place to get spiritual care, to get patched up, to get uh, the care you need to become healthier and stronger. Um, so the real question we need to do, we need to be asking as a church, is not what programs do we have, not how do we make our customers happy, but we need to be asking how do we take care of sheep? Right? How do we take care of sheep? What does it mean to be a good shepherd? Uh, now, to do this, to understand this, we need to understand a few things about sheep. And I'll give you a heads up up front here. This is not exactly um, complimentary, right? The fact that, that the Bible calls us sheep is, is actually a little bit of an insult, all right? Because uh, sheep are actually some of the most incredibly stupid animals on the planet and helpless, right? And so to say that we're a bunch of sheep is not something we... Like, we don't make t-shirts, I'm a sheep, I'm a dumb sheep, right? We just don't do that. Uh, it's, it's not really flattering. But that's what he says, right? We are sheep. And by the way, and I'll, I'll refer to this a couple times, the shepherd that he's talking about are also sheep, right? So it's not that I'm smart and you're stupid, right? No, I'm stupid too, right? I am also a dumb sheep, right? Together, we are all sheep. And the one true great shepherd, of course, is Jesus. Right? He's the only one who's not a, not a sheep, right? And so what is, the, what is the nature of sheep? Uh, and, and what do they need to be well cared for? Well, um, for one, they're not, they're not customers. Sheep are not consumers. Now, of course, sheep consume large amounts of grass, right? But they're not even smart enough to really know what they want. Like, you don't go to a sheep and say, well, here's the menu. What are you in the mood for today? Sheep, uh, you know, grass or alfalfa or some corn. A sheep's not even smart enough to know that. In fact, a sheep will eat the wrong food until it makes itself sick, right? Because they're just, they're, they're that dumb, right? So uh, they're not consumers. They're helpless. Uh, they're too dumb to take care of themselves, right? Uh, it's a known fact that sheep cannot find food and water on their own, right? In fact, one of the things that we know about sheep is that if they, if they do stumble upon a little patch of grass, and of course, in, in Israel where they raised sheep, it wasn't like Thailand. Sheep would do well here because there's stuff to eat everywhere, right? They don't have to, they don't have to find it. It's just everywhere. But in, in uh, Israel, it was very dry, and there were many places where there was enough water, grass would grow, but a lot of it was very, very desert, right? Very barren. And, and they know that if sheep in that kind of environment, if they found grass, they would eat all the grass and they would never move until every blade of grass was gone. And then they would just stand around looking at each other, waiting for the grass to grow, right? And they'd starve to death. They would starve to death rather than going in search for more food, right? They, 
They, they, they, they need somebody to feed them. Right? Second thing about sheep we know is that they're super vulnerable to attack. Right? Sheep really have uh, no real good mechanism, no ways to defend themselves. And so they were easy prey, right? easy g- game, an easy target for uh, a hungry wolf or coyote or lion. Right? Um, so they needed protection. Uh, the third thing that we know about sheep is that they are prone to wander off and get lost. That is, wander off for no reason at all. Just, and disappear and get lost and not be able to find their way back to the flock and to the care of the shepherd. Right? So, so that, that's the picture of the church. <laughs> right? We're helpless. We can't feed ourselves. We are vulnerable to attack. And we easily wander off and get lost. Right? That's, that's what it means to be a sheep. And so uh, the, the picture or the vision of what a church is to be about, what the leadership is to be organizing, what we're to be focused on, is providing uh, protection for, for the flock, right? to protect them from spiritual attack, protect them from sin that would take control of their life, protect them from, from um, bad theology and bad teaching, right? We're to protect the flock. Uh, we are to be about feeding the flock, uh, teaching them the word, grounding their faith in the truth of, of, of the word, right? Uh, feeding people spiritually. And then, uh, because they're prone to get lost, uh, a role of the church is to lead people in the right path, right? To steer them in the right direction, to show them how to live their life well in a way that honors God how to make good life choices, right? How to uh, make choices that will be pleasing to God and not sinful, and how to do God's will. Right? That's what it means to be sheep and, 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 the, and the function of the church, right? Um, do you feel like you're a sheep? Well, most of us don't, right? If we're honest, we're like, I'm not helpless. What are you telling me I'm helpless? I am not helpless. I don't need protection, I've taken Taekwondo, right? I studied the Bible. I don't need people. I don't need, right? Uh, it is our nature to feel like we are not sheep. It is our nature to feel like I've got this. I don't need people leading me. I need to lead myself, right? Um, but that's not how the picture that Peter and, and and it's not just here, right? Jesus says, "I am the good shepherd. You're the sheep," right? Throughout Scripture, this. This image is used repeatedly, right? Um, in this uh, passage, Peter doesn't focus so much on the ministry tasks of shepherds, but he does look at the heart of a shepherd. We're going to come back to the sheep in a minute, but first let's look at uh, Peter gives us four qualities that need to be true of a good shepherd, right? So as we, as we select leaders, as we look to people who could lead, uh, not just as the lead pastor, but as elders, as leaders in the church, um, uh, Peter says they, they need to have some, some qualities. The qualities are the heart of a shepherd. What is that person like? Right? Um, unfortunately, again, in our world, uh, I don't think this is always how we select pastors or leaders. Right? Because we, we've really bought into more of this consumer mentality, oftentimes we look for pastors who are excellent communicators, right? um, regardless of their heart. We want people who can uh, teach well, which is important. 
But you can teach well and have a terrible heart. Right? Um, and the reason we want them to teach well is because we're trying to sell a, a show. Right? And if they are not entertaining it, they're not engaging enough. Right? Well, we don't want them. Right? They're not going to satisfy our customers. But Peter bypasses all that. Right? Now, it's not that it's unimportant. We should, uh, as we will see, pastors teach. Right? They, they feed the sheep, so they do need to know the word. But Peter focuses on their heart. What is the heart of this shepherd? Right? And the first thing he talks about is what I would call the priorities of a shepherd. Uh, now, he doesn't use these words, these are mine, but this is what he says. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. Now, I think that's probably not the best translation, uh, but it's a word that's a little, a little difficult to translate. And the Greek word is episkopeo. That's the word we get episcopal from in the Episcopalians here. Okay. Episcopal means simply an overseer. Uh, an episkopos is a place where there's oversight. But what does this word oversight really mean? Uh, uh, it could be understood, and sometimes it is used in the Greek, as, as having a supervisory role. And the key, key part of this word is the idea of seeing something. It means to see over or look over something. And so one way to use the word is, is in a, like in a business where the boss is an overseer, right? Are any of you in an over, overseeing supervisory role? Anybody here? See, nobody wants to admit it, but I know some of you are, right? I know some of you are, right? Uh, you're in that role, and what does it mean? Well, it means you, you look at what people are doing, and you make sure they're doing it right, right? That's supervising, right? You're, you're watching them and uh, making sure they're doing the job right. And, and that's a, there's a place for that and that kind of accountability. But that's really more of a business model, right? That's really more of a company. When you're working in a company, your boss is making sure you're making the right gadgets or you're making enough of the gadgets or you're making them with the right quality, the right standard, right? So that's how that word can be used. But here it has really the, more the idea of looking after someone, looking after something, right? Uh, we use this word in English, at least uh, American English, I'm not sure about other countries, but we will say things like, can you look after my kids while I run to the store? Now, do we mean, will you supervise my kids? Well, you might. Make sure they're doing the dishes, make sure they're doing their chores. But really what we mean by that more is, will you take care of them? Will you look after them? Will you make sure they're safe? Make sure they're not burning the house down. Make sure somebody's not coming in and kidnapping them. Making sure they're okay, right? Will you care for them? That's the idea. Um, and uh, theological, well, Bible dictionary, the New Testament, there it is, uh, defines this word this way. It says it stresses the active and responsible care for that which has been seen. Right? So you've seen something, something is in your view, and you exercise the active and responsible care for that thing. Uh, oversight means loving care and concern, a responsibility willingly shouldered. Right. So the focus here on this word, I believe, is this idea of care. And that fits with this whole picture of a shepherd. He says, shepherd the flock among you by caring for people. And that should be, that's the number one priority of a shepherd, of an elder, is caring for people. Right? If they don't do anything else right, 
this is the one thing they have to do well, is care for people. Right? Uh, so that's the first heart uh, we want to see in, a, in, a, in an elder, in a leader. They have a priority of caring for people, caring for the flock. Second thing, uh, they... Well, let, let me back up. So um, looking after those in your care... Uh, he does not. He does not really describe what this act of res- responsible care for the sheep looks like. But let me just summarize quickly. I'm just going to read him. Uh, a guy named uh, Brian Croft has written a book on shepherding, and he identifies ten tasks, ten jobs of a shepherd. Right? I'm just going to name them, so you get an idea of how they shepherd the flock, how they care for people. He says they should guard the truth. They should preach the word. They should pray for the flock. They should set an example for the flock. They should visit the sick, and presumably pray for the sick, (laughs) not just visit them. Um, Comfort the grieving in times of loss and death. Uh, Care for those in need, and especially in in the New Testament, the most needy group are widows, but really caring for those in need in the church. Uh, Confronting sin, uh, encouraging the weaker sheep, and identifying and training leaders. Right? So those are those are the shepherding tasks. Peter doesn't mention those, right? But that's that's what it means to have active and responsible care for the sheep, to be doing those things. Um, second thing, though, he talks about the motivation of a leader. What what is, what is the motivation? Why do these leaders lead? And again, that's a heart issue, right? Uh, two leaders can both be. L- have the appearance of leading and maybe they do many of the same things but uh, what we want to know is the heart of this leader what is their motivation why are they doing it Um, he says in verse 2b he says not shepherding under compulsion but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly Uh, so some key words here first not under compulsion that means you have to do it right in other words, it should be more than just a job, right? Now, you may go to work, you may have a job, and you may not love everything that you do at your job, but it's your job, right? And so you do it because, well, you have to, right? And probably all of us have some things in our job that are like that. You're pretty fortunate if, if you love everything you do at your job. If that's you, man, you're, you're, don't lose that job, because that's not how it usually works. Some things we like, some things it's like, uh, I have to do this, right? So that's not, that should not be the mark of a shepherd. Uh, I have to like people. Uh, uh, all right, I'll like people if I have to. Right? That's probably not really the shepherd's heart coming out, right? No, not like that. It should be willingly something that you want to do because you have a heart for it. He says, as God would have you. Uh, that could mean that you're doing it above all in service to God, or it can also mean uh, according to His will, that it's a call on your life. You know this is what God's called you to, but you want to do it. It's something you're eager to do. You're willing to do because you have a heart for it. You're excited about caring for people, and it's not a drudgery or just a job. right? Uh, he says, not, uh, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And again, this kind of comes back to the people who do it for, for a, a job or for do it for the wrong reasons. Shameful gain. Um, maybe, maybe it's because it pays well. 
right? So there's money in it. But oftentimes it goes far beyond money. Shameful gain can be things like glory, position, status, right? It elevates you, makes you feel needed and important, right? Uh, and those would all be the wrong reasons, not for shameful gain, for selfish uh, pursuits, but rather eagerly. And again, that's a lot like willingness, right? It means you have a keen interest or intense desire to do this. You, you want to help people. So uh, you should, should see a shepherd's heart in, in their motivation that they just genuinely care for people. They love people. They want to help people. They have a heart for people and a burden for them. They're burdened for the well-being and care of the sheep. Right? It's not a duty. It's not a job. It's not doing something they do for their own self-glory or bolstering their self-image. Right? Um, and they have this burden to, to protect and to provide and comfort and care for the people that are in their care. Uh, they're eager to give guidance and counsel and direction. Right? Uh, because they care about the well-being of the sheep uh, more than their own image. Um, in, in, uh, in the medical world, there's this whole thing called bedside manner. You know what bedside manner is? It means like how doctors kind of present themselves to their patients, right? And they've actually done studies uh, about how much a patient trusts and is willing to seek help from a doctor and here's the crazy thing. You can have Dr. A over here. We'll call him Dr. Smarty Pants, right? He's the best in his field. He, he is the best surgeon anywhere in the world. And he is super skilled, uh, highest rating, graduated top of his class. He's got the best skill in his field as a surgeon, Mr. Smarty Pants. But then over here, you've got Mr. Nice Guy. And Mr. Nice Guy was not such a good student. And he's a good surgeon, but he's not the best surgeon in the world. But he's nice, right? Uh, you go to see Mr. Smarty Pants, and he tells you all about how wonderful he is. And you get the impression that he could care less if, if uh, anything about you, right? He has terrible bedside manners, right? He's not nice. He's just very businesslike. And he says, this is the surgery we're going to do, and we're going to cut this out and slice that up, and we're going to sit you back up. That's my job. And I'm going to get paid a lot of money to do it, Right? Uh, but Mr. Nice Guy is like, oh, wow, this, this, is, this, is, this is serious. And I, wanna, I want you to know that I'm going to be with you through this. We're going to go. We're gonna, I'm going to take care of you, right? Which doctor do you think people choose more often? Mr. Smarty Pants or Mr. Nice Guy? Mr. Nice Guy, all the time, right? In fact, they have whole, they have whole classes to teach Mr. Smarty Pants how to be nice. Because he's losing money, because nobody wants to go to him to be a doctor. Right? Well, that's true in the medical world. How much more is it true in the church where the leaders are supposed to be shepherds, caregivers, right? Um, we need to make sure that we have shepherds who have a heart of a shepherd, and that heart is seen in their willingness and eagerness to care for the sheep. Third uh, characteristic or quality of a good Shepherd is they have the right leadership style. The right leadership style. Verse 3 says, Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Right? How are these leaders to lead? By being dictators who tell people what to do? Amen. <laughs> Let's hear it. You have those preachers up there who just tell you how to live your life. 
who are demanding and forcing you to do what they're telling you to do, right? And uh, nagging them and badgering them and trying to micromanage the lives of their sheep. Is that how it works? No, he says, not domineering, not demanding, right? But instead, showing uh, how to live by your example, being an example to the flock, right? Showing them how it's done. Um, I love the world that we live in. It used to be back in the old days, if you wanted to figure out how to do something, you would get out the instruction manual. Remember those for you old people like me? You get out an instruction manual, and you have to read the instruction manual. And then when you were done reading the instruction manual, you would throw it away because it was like, I have no idea what this means, right? And then you would just try to fumble around until you broke it so bad that you had to call the repair guy to come fix it, right? But now, we don't need instruction manuals because we have what? YouTube. It's the best thing ever. And YouTube is not a bunch of confusing instructions. They actually show you how to do it. And you can just watch and you just do what they do, and you can do brain surgery. There's videos for that, I think, right? You can do anything. You can overhaul your car. You can build a house. You can do anything, because there's a video for it, right? And it shows by example how it works and how to do it step by step. And you learn so much easier. Why? Because you see it, and you just can copy it. You can follow the example, right? That, that's how it works. And by the way, parents, um, this is how parenting works. Our greatest, our greatest uh, means of instructing our children, believe it or not, is not lecturing them. I know you love that. I know you believe that that's really going to change them. But honestly, lecturing them isn't going to work. Right? What they need is to see it. And kids, copy your example, good and bad. Right? And oftentimes our kids copy our, exa- our bad examples way faster, right? And we see ourselves and our children as like, Ugh, uh, I am being an example and they are copying me, uh, not in ways I want, right? Uh, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Right? Show them how it's done. Paul says of himself in Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join in imitating me. I keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. Right? So uh, the way we lead is primarily by showing people how the life of Christ works in the world. Right? Through our attitude, through our speech, through our conduct, through our love, through our purity. We are to be an example. And of course, the ultimate example is Jesus. So leaders aren't saying, just, just copy me because I'm the supreme one. No, uh, they should be copying Jesus. Uh, but as they work out the life of Christ in their own life, they should be an example to others. Right? And that's how we lead. That's the style of leadership, primarily by being an example, not by telling people how to live. Lastly, um, uh, we need to make sure that uh, shepherds have the right incentive for leading, right? What is the what is the what is what is it they get out of it, right? Now it would be nice to say, well, leaders just lead for the sake of leading, and they're not looking to get something. But that's not how it works, right? All leaders want something, uh, but make sure they're wanting the right thing, right? 
And he says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Um, now, th- there's, there's a serious occupational hazard for shepherds. right? Uh, shepherds who have the right heart, who love and care for people, that wires them well to be shepherds. But there's a downside to it, and it is this. That sometimes they care too much about what people think. Right? Right? They're sensitive to people. They're tuned into people. They are uh, paying attention to what people need. And it's very possible for shepherds to give too much meaning to what people think and what they want. And oftentimes shepherds uh, uh, can become people pleasers. Right? And, and Peter says, no, we're not doing this so that we can get the praise and approval of men. Right? We need to care for people, but we need to care for them even if they hate us or even if they don't like what we tell them, or even if we give them advice and they don't take it, right? Um, we're, not, we're not trying to make our customers happy, right? Ultimately, we are doing it to please God. And he says, that's the, that's the incentive that you will, your focus is on receiving the unfading crown of glory when Jesus returns, right? That, that you will be able to give a good answer and and acknowledge that you have taken good care of people and you have done your best to shepherd them regardless of what thanks or praise you get from people because uh, our incentive is the, is the word of Christ, well done, a good and faithful servant. Right? And there's kind of a scary warning that comes along with this. Um, Hebrews 13:17 says this. Uh, this is talking to the sheep. The writer of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Okay, and we'll talk about this in a minute, this idea of submission to our leaders, spiritual leaders. Uh, he says, but he says, he says, For they are keeping watch over your souls. Okay, they are there to protect you and to help you grow. As those who will give an account. Right? In other words, when shepherds stand before Jesus one day, when he returns in his glory, uh, he will say to them, how have you taken care of those I put in your care? They will give an account. Right? They will have to give an answer for how well they have cared for the sheep. Not how well they have pleased the sheep. Right? Not how well they please the sheep. How well they have cared for the sheep. So we as leaders have to be careful that our incentive is ultimately to please God, to please Christ, uh, by caring for the sheep. Not by pleasing the sheep, by doing what they want. Right? So sometimes leaders have to make hard decisions. They have to sometimes decide things that will not be popular uh, in, the, in the task of caring for people. Right, so that's, that's the character, that's the heart of a shepherd. Um, but he also talks about the role or the character of the sheep. And this list is much shorter, so this is not going to take as long. In fact, there's a list of one thing. There's only one thing that sheep have to do. And you know what sheep have to do? Well, they just have to be sheep. Right? That's all. Just be dumb, helpless, vulnerable, lost sheep. Right? Uh, but he puts it this way. Uh, Likewise, you who are younger, that is, you who are sheep, so if you're not an elder, if you're not mature in, a, in that role as a, as a leader, then you're younger. So the good news is you can be 70, 80 years old and still be younger in this sense, right? So all you young people out there, all you youngins, uh, be subject to the elders. Be subject. 
In other words, submit yourself to their rule, to their leadership, to their, uh, their, their position as a shepherd. Right? Um, and, and this is a word that, that people love. People just love the word submission, right? Love it. Like, oh, I was hoping you would say that. Right? I just, that's what I want to do. I want to submit more. Well, okay, no, it's not, right? What does it mean to be subject to shepherds? How do we do that? Well, I'll say, first of all, because we're not a company, we're not a business, we're not CEOs, it is not submitting like you would to a boss. Right? That's not the context here. Right? Uh, no, we're to submit to our leaders as sheep to a shepherd. Right? Do sheep submit uh, to their shepherd as a boss? Shepherd's telling him, yeah, go out there and mow the grass and, and trim that tree, right? No, right? No, that's not how it works with sheep, right? What does it mean for a sheep to submit to a shepherd? Well, it simply means this. It means entrusting themselves to the shepherd's care. Okay? And I really believe in, in the Bible, in, in, in the idea of husbands and wives and children, same, same, uh, same thing, right? Ultimately, submission is trusting someone who's over you, trusting them enough to place your life in their care. And, and, and this works if the shepherd is all the things that we just described, right? If they're eager to care for the sheep, if they have a burden for the sheep, if they long to uh, protect and feed and provide for the sheep, right? They become trustworthy leaders who we should be able to uh, put our lives, our care in their hands, and we do that. So, so we do we do that ultimately by just being sheep, by saying, "Look, I'm helpless. I, I need help. I am vulnerable. Uh, I, I am prone to getting lost. And so, I trust myself, my spiritual life, into the care of you as leaders and shepherds to protect me, and to feed me, and to direct me, so I don't get lost." Right? This kind of submission ultimately means admitting that we can't take care of ourselves and we need help, right? Uh, and that the shepherd uh, has been appointed by God and gifted so that we can trust them. We can place our lives in their care for spiritual nurture, feeding, and protection and direction, right? And, and so to do this well, to be good sheep, we need to grow a spirit of dependence, a spirit of dependence, Right? And again, this is another word that just goes so counterculture to our human nature. Right? Most of us, uh, uh, this is like the opposite of, of what, what we think we should be. Right? And this begins very early in life. I would say maybe as early as 18 months. Right? And uh, you're 18 months old, you're trying to help them get their shirt on. Right? And they push you away. What do they say? I can do it myself. Right? And they want to learn to do it themselves, right? And this is actually a good thing, right? Because uh, I don't want to be spoon-feeding my 17-year-old, right? I really want them to figure out how to do this on their own. Um, uh, not to mention things like changing diapers, right? It's a good thing that they figured this one out on their own, right? We don't want our 30-year-old children coming home with their laundry saying, Hey, uh, I still haven't figured out the washing machine. Can you wash my clothes for me? It's like, uh, no, Right? In, there's, there's a sense that we need some ability to take care of ourselves, right? 
but the problem is when we are so determined to be independent that we are absolutely unwilling to admit when we need help. Um, I come from a family of very independent people. My grandfather was uh, super stubborn and super proud that he could fix anything and take care of anything. And he just literally never asked for help. And when he was 90, literally 99 years old, he was still mowing his own grass and uh, shoveling the snow up his own sidewalks, right? And not only his own, but all, all, all the old people's houses in his neighborhood, right? Those 70-year-old old people, right? He was taking care of them too, right? Till almost, almost the day of his death. Um, and he, uh, he did not ask for help. And I, and I kind of inherited that, I don't need help. I can do this. I've got this. I don't need people protecting me or feeding me or guiding me. I can do this, right? And that, that spirit is very much against the, the heart and function of what it means to be sheep, to be in the church, right? And it took me a long time to learn that I actually could not fix everything. Right? I could not overcome sinful temptations and lusts that were crippling my life, right? I could not do that on my own. I didn't see that I was not smart enough to see every spiritual error and threat and that I needed other people to protect me from uh, spiritual heresies and, and misunderstandings about Scripture. Uh, it took me a long time to discover that I couldn't fix my marriage when things started to go badly, but I needed help. Right? We need to come to the church as a place where we come as people who need help. And, and that, that there is help here. right? That uh, I don't always have it under control. Um, maybe you're like me, and I, this, this illustration almost doesn't work. It almost doesn't work anymore. But back in the day before Google Maps, I was one of those people who would never ask for directions. Right? And many times my wife would say, "Shouldn't we stop and ask for directions?" So it's like, no, I know where I'm. I'm not lost. I was never lost. I just maybe didn't know the shortest way to get where I was going. But I would find a way. Right? Praise God for Google Maps, right? Because now I don't ever have to ask for directions. I can be lost and I don't have to admit it. Um, right? We need help. Right? We are sheep. And that goes for shepherds, for elders, right? I am still just a sheep, right? So finally, Peter says this. He closes with these words, this section. He says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Right? Um, what should characterize our relationships is humility. Humility on the part of shepherds who uh, are honest about their own weakness. Right? Shepherds who are honest about the fact that they are also sheep. Right? They're just sheep who need the great shepherd. Not lording it over people, uh, not bossing people around, not feeling superior. Right? Elders do have an important role, but not an elevated or superior position. Right? Elders are not better. They just hopefully are more mature. Right? They should have spiritual maturity, not sinless perfection. And elders need to be an example of being honest about our failures and mistakes and being humble in how we lead. But likewise, uh, we need humble sheep. Humble enough to admit they are sheep and they are in need of a shepherd. Right? That we need 
people to guide us. We need the body of Christ to speak into our lives, to uh, help us find direction, to feed us, to protect us. Um, Yeah, that's how we should engage church, right? And I think we need to just examine, you know, how do we see the church? Uh, are we being influenced by this consumer-driven mentality? Right? Are we are we like sheep who would say to the shepherd, "Hey, you big tall guy with the stick, uh, I want to order breakfast. I think I want cake and ice cream. Right? Give it to me now and hurry because I'm hungry." Right? Uh, is that how it works? Right? Is that how a sheep works? Or does the sheep say, "No, you know I'm." I don't even know what I need, right? Um, and likewise, as a church, right, as leaders, are we are we asking, what can we do to attract more sheep, right? How can we have better programs? How can we, you know, connect with people in a way that they get what they want? Maybe, I shouldn't probably say this, but maybe we need a bigger TV screen. <laughs> or not, right? Right, no. The question should always be, how caring for people how are we caring for people you've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand for more information please view our website at www.ccfth.org